Welcome to part two of the Virtuoso story. Over the next 35 minutes, Matthew talks to us in detail about Virtuoso Travel Week in Las Vegas, also Virtuoso's international expansion, how Virtuoso managed to work with Virgin Galactic and Matthew himself signed up for the first flights. And finally, he gives his thoughts on COVID and what 2021 may look like. Enjoy. 98 people at the Brazilian court, now too big for Bellagio from my understanding. So yeah. in terms of travel mart, I haven't been for the last four or five years, but how big is it now? And what, what are the, some of the standout numbers with regards to travel? Well, obviously, you know, four minute meetings. 2019 before COVID, yeah. but yeah. last year, uh, last year we were a little over 6,300 people from 103 countries. Wow. Um, we were took over the all of the Bellagio, half of Aria and Vidara. Wow! So we literally created. So you didn't get the pleasure of being there when we created the Virtuoso City, um, because we created a we 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 created a back of the house shuttle system yes. between the between the meeting space of the Bellagio and the meeting space of Aria. Yes. Um, and yeah, it was uh, so over six thousand three hundred people, and there were. I'm trying to think for 340,000 appointments, both the, the speed dating four minutes and the matched appointments in the afternoon. The other impressive number um, was that besides the main virtuoso events, which by the way, also included the largest seated dinner ever done at the Bellagio with <laughs> over 3,100 people seated plated dinner. Um, beside that, there were over 850 other events within the event. So everything from poolside parties to hospitality suites, to restaurant buyouts, to everything else in between. And as a hotelier, it, it's obviously a fantastic opportunity to meet your best agents and to have this, this four minute slot. Over the, the years, what, What's the best example of someone giving an impactful four minutes that stays in someone's brain when you've got that 6,300 people? How, who's been the most memorable? Well, what, one how, of the most creative, there's actually, there's actually, there's actually, well, first of all, we've actually, you know, we've actually done some training now where the advisors have helped, you know, our professional development team create some tips on, on that. Um, you know, the, the, the number one tip is whatever you do, don't spend all your time like here are my sheets, here are my this, here are my that. Like when you do the shorter one, what are the two or three, you know, kind of key things you want to do? But it's really what, what we always remind people is what can I do for you? It's mm -hmm. the human connection piece of it that is so important. Yes. And what a lot of advisors will remember is, you know, if you send somebody to my hotel, we do a daily stand-up where we go through all the virtuoso, whatever. If you send me an email, this is what we'll do for you. So yes. the things that stand out is a couple of the features that make you different um, that, 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 that are there. Um, and then the other thing that happens sometimes is, is the other thing that happens is, um, is uh, um, I will say it was so funny because I remember the year the iPad came out. I was there. I think I everybody there. thought yeah. they were going to be so original. 2010. And we, 
got it from Caesars yeah. Palace forum shops. And then the second day, the half the room had iPads. And then the third day, everyone oh, yeah. had an iPad. They'd, they'd sold out at Apple at Caesars Forum. <laughs> it was pretty damn funny. We should have been an, a, 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 an ad for, for, for Apple. But I will say, for example, one memorable one was Anthony Lee. Yes. When he was when he was when he was uh, renovating the Connaught, and I'll never forget, he put on a uh, a painter's white overalls, right? A one, you know, a, what we call overalls or a onesie or whatever, yeah. and then he had photos all pinned all over, and so you say, "Well, here's the restaurant, and then <laughs> here's this, you know, on, on his rump." It was the damn funniest thing, and you know, so some of the more creative ones were also the ones that 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 uh, that people remembered. I I was following on the track one year, and on the second day, there was a guy that looked like he was playing charades. So he was not really presenting from an iPad or a laptop. He was, and then during the first break, I said, I said, it's very memorable what you're doing. Everyone will remember you over the other suppliers, and he put up a note that it says. It's not an act. I really lost my voice. <laughs> <laughs> so he had arrived in Las Vegas and party too hard, and then, then his yeah. voice had gone. So he had to put up cards and acts and 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 everything else. But in terms of travel, Mark, the the production and the keynote speakers and everything now is just of, of such an incredible scale. You had the likes of Simon Sinek, and I think the first year I was there because he has a winery and a place in Napa Valley, Francis, Francis Coppola. Coppola. Yeah, so yeah. it's absolutely mind-blowing. How t big is the organizing team and how much time does putting on that 6,300 people event take? Well, it was all, I mean, it was all done in-house. I mean, we did, we, we used some, we used some uh, local labor for like, you know, stuffing the bags and, you know, over the years we did stuff like that, but yeah, we had we actually developed our own internal systems. We had our own team, um, and that particular beast is a year-round. You know, there's a team that works on that. Year, you know, that basically as soon as we we finish, we start thinking about it. Now, obviously, you know, we're we are trying to figure out how how do we we you know. I was very very um, pleased with what how our team pivoted this year with Virtuoso Travel Week virtual because. Yeah. We got amazing scores and, and, and it's an interesting thing because very proud of what we were able to do, but I also wonder out loud of the fact, and I think it absolutely is true. I think one of the reasons that our virtual Virtuoso Travel Week did so well is because we have been so consistent at the face-to-face -face for so many years. Yes. And I think one of the, I think one of the secrets there's two secrets, I believe, of Virtuoso Travel Week. One of them is that every year, at least 60% are repeaters. Yes. So you never have, and it's 60 to 70%. So 30 to, you know, only, and what happens is the people that are there and, and anybody that's done it will tell you that the first year was overwhelming, but as you come back over and over again, it just gets, it's easier, it's better, it's this, it's that. So there's there's an element of the mix, right? Of that it's mostly repeaters because of the but and then I think the other thing I wish and, and it, it also comes down to one of these things where I wish I could tell you that you know um I was so smart I I, I planned it all, but but I remember um 
I remember st standing next to my dad who passed away uh, a number of years ago, about four years ago now. And my dad was originally from South Carolina, but he never, he was, you know, he left, he left when he was a little boy, he went up to New York, you know, he traveled the world. So he didn't have that South Carolina Southern accent, but one of the most memorable moments with my dad was we were standing in one of those massive ballrooms, right? And you hear that activity in there, right? Yes. And my dad never called me son, always Matthew, whenever, every now and then, but he never called me son. So we're just standing there kind of quietly. And all of a sudden my dad goes, son, which of course was like, <laughs> yeah, dad, well, yeah, what? He goes, you hear that sound? Yes, dad. And then he, and then he goes, then he goes into the South Carolina drawl. He goes, that's the sound of bees making honey. <laughs> and it was so funny because it's like this hive of activity, right? But the reason I love to tell that story is that first of all, it brings a smile to my face about my dad and, and what a great guy he was. But I remember thinking that one of the secrets to this thing, you know, you, were, you and I were chatting earlier and saying that when your GM sent you, said, well, you know, you better bring some business and go work, right? And don't gamble. I love it when GMs come for the first time because they thought that their salespeople were lollygagging. Yeah. And, and, and they're like, they're so blown away. So I actually think that one of the secrets to it is the intensity of it. Yes. Because it's like you go to other places, you know, you go to other trade shows and different people are operating at different levels of intensity at any given moment. Mm -hmm. But when you get in there, it's like jumping in a white water river, right? It's like, you better go with the flow or you're going to get drowned, right? So, and there's something energetically, right? There's something yes. energetically about a, that many people doing something at relatively the same level of intensity at the same time that generates this collective feeling which is why the which is why one of my favorite videos and things to watch every year is I always try to get to one of the ballrooms at like the second to last appointment of the full four days. And it's like New Year's, right? Elation. When they hit into that last appointment, papers fly, hats fly, you know, everything goes, woo! And and it used to be, I'm not sure that if the bar is called the same anyway, but sent Sensei used to be Sensei. nice near the entrance, so you'd have a nice relaxing drink before you went to the the next yeah. function. But so, sorry for your your father's loss, but I think uh, obviously the the pride he must feel compared to when that you first came back for the Percival Tours trip. <laughs> every everyone's going to go direct, and there's no business case to yeah. suddenly too big for Bellagio, which is absolutely <laughs> uh, extraordinary. And that ballroom. It's brilliant when the bell goes and you've you've done that that last finale. Yep. But I think if it's the Tuesday or Wednesday morning and you have been operating at that intensity and you've got a little bit of jet lag having come from Asia and your your US colleagues like Leslie Leslie had organized the Priscilla Priscilla Alexander breakfast out on the out on the veranda. You you really are going on four or five hours sleep and the rest oh, yeah. of the time fully intensively meeting people and 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 selling your property but but it's it's absolute elation when 
when you do right. do get it all done. And uh, yeah, it's it's a very and, and it really event. does. You know that intensity, that intensity. Uh, somebody called it. It's similar to battlefield syndrome. I mean, it really does. It, it's it's it, it, there is an element of we survive this together, and it creates a bond. Yeah, lots of camaraderie. And you know. It, so I was going to say, you, you mentioned that 97 was when you started to go into South America. And in, obviously, I've been fortunate to do virtuoso events in Australia, and I've done the, the, the road shows down, down there with the teams also. Where, where are you exactly, which countries do you have a virtuoso presence? And do you have any further growth plans setting aside COVID? Oh, absolutely. In fact, We've added more people. We opened up an official office in uh, Shanghai in November of last year. We have a small team there. We've actually added more, more members in China uh, this year than we have in the last three years. Um, and I'm really, uh, it, it really is, is quite something because um, we just added Lithuania and Estonia. I think we're now in 55. Where we send people is like over 130 countries. Where we have virtuoso uh, outbound mm -hmm. members and all that is I think 55 countries now we, we say 50 plus right now because we don't like to change it every but we have it I think it's around 55 countries wow. uh, and uh, no and, and and our our goal is to to be in every single country where we can find somebody that meets our standards as far as being a, a virtuoso advisor um and that actually leads me to one other thing I wanted to share with you because um, after we became, after we were, after we renamed ourselves Virtuoso, that was 2000. By the end of 2000, those of us that have been in this game a long time, we kind of remember some of the high watermarks and the low watermarks. 2000, you couldn't get a hotel room. I mean, everything was booked. Everything was just chock-a-block, right? We changed our name to create an attraction to get more of we, what we saw was this new generation of travelers called the baby boomers. Yes. And just in the US alone, there were 70 million of them. So 10,000 turning 60 every day. Yes. The rest of the world, right? So by the end of 2000, I start hearing from more and more of our advisors Matthew, I don't have enough hours in the day to handle all the business I already have. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, we've got a problem. Because the single point of failure of this organization is not having the number of advisors that are going to be able to handle the business of the best traveled, best educated, most internet savvy consumers in the history of the planet. So if we don't have those advisors, if our advisors are already tapped out and don't have enough hours in a day, we got a problem. Mm -hmm. So in February of 2001, of course, having no idea that September was going to be 9-11, but we had our symposium in Cairo. Mm -hmm. And in Cairo, we announced that we were changing our mission statement. And that mission statement became to utilize the Virtuoso Network to improve the compensation and personal fulfillment of the frontline travel advisor. Mm -hmm. And the reason we made that our mission statement was because we realized 
that if we couldn't make the profession of being a, tra a true travel advisor, not a transactional travel agent, mm -hmm. if we couldn't make it a profession that was financially and personally rewarding mm -hmm. to compete with other serious professions, not clerical jobs, mm -hmm. but professions, then we will have failed at our, at our mission. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I and I remember when I announced that in Cairo, and I said to put it in more personal terms, if years from now I can't turn around after spending God knows what to put my kids through college and say that being a virtuoso travel advisor is a legitimate option for them, mm -hmm. then I will have, we will have failed at our mission. Mm -hmm. So if you were to sit here and tell me and 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 ask me, Matthew. If there was only one, if I only allowed you to pick one thing that you're the most proud that this organization has accomplished in its entire, you know, since at least 86 when you took over, what would it be? And you know what, actually, normally that would be a hard, might be hard, but it isn't at all. It is that we and our members, when we announced that, really took it to heart. Mm -hmm. And we really focused on that. And what I am the most proud of that this organization did, along with the members and the veteran advisors, is that we, we cultivated and recruited and developed a whole new generation of advisors, mm -hmm. be they young people or career switchers. Yeah. And for example, I always think of Josh Alexander, right, He's at lawyer, Pro Travel, right? at Pro in New York. Yeah, he was the first attorney I ever met that quit his law practice. Yeah, to become a travel advisor, um, and I, I I remember being so thrilled about that, you know. And here he is today, you know, over a decade later, you know, incredibly successful, and now have met you know former investment bankers, former doctors, former professors, and this and that and the other. Um, it's been fantastic, and the other thing that I've loved about it is that in the embracing of that mission, you know what it also did? That I, I, I should have known, but once it happened, it re-energized our veterans. It made our veterans feel, you know, re-energized and proud. And the other thing that happened is our keynote speaker last year was the strategic advisor to Brian Chesky at Airbnb, mm -hmm. Chip Connolly. But before Chip went to ABN, before he sold Joie de Vivre Hotels, yes. which was the second largest boutique chain in the US, yes. he was a boutique hotelier. And they bought Thompson, didn't they? And then what he did is after he sold Joie de Vivre, he went to work for Airbnb, but I would recommend to anybody out there, because I love this. I love this whole collaborative theme, right? Chip wrote a book called, um, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And it's a book of what it was like. It was, it was a book about what it was like to be 55 years old and go work for a CEO that was half his age at a company where everybody was half his age. And it's a beautiful book about intergenerational collaboration. And he has the line in there, it says, Lend me some of your DQ, as in your digital knowledge, 
and I'll let you, and I'll give you some of my EQ, which is my emotional intelligence. Yes. And so this whole intergenerational collaboration amongst virtuous advisors and the network has been one of the greatest joys of my life. That's fantastic. I, I've, I've heard of Chip Conley. I haven't read, read the book, but I will uh, either buy it or, or download it on Audible and listen, listen while I run. In, in terms of, we talked about Bhutan and some far-flung countries that you book. Obviously, a bit more ambitious than that is interplanetary, but you, you partnered very early with Richard Branson in terms of Virgin Galactic, and uh, it's always, always clear when there are photo opportunities, he, he's squeezing and hugging you, so he's delighted that he's found you and, and Virtuoso. How did that partnership come about, and, and what, what's the progress like from a, a year standpoint in terms of when when launches may be feasible? Yeah. Well, uh, it started because um, our, our relation with Virgin Galactic goes back to 2008, actually, 2000, late 2007. Um, and it started because of our relationship with Virgin Limited. Mm -hmm. So because we had such a great relationship of selling Necker Island and all of Richard's private, you know, super high-end places, um, I reached out to them and they had started this thing called the accredited space agent program. And so they had just started it. So I reached out and, um, Carolyn Windsor, who at the time was the head of the, of, of that program, um, obviously knew us cause she had been at Virgin limited as well. Um, and then really the rest is history. We, we then created, um, we helped them set up the entire accredited space agent thing. In the Americas, in the Americas, we added exclusive. Um, in other parts of the world, we didn't. But over time, most of the uh, the ASAs joined Virtuoso. So in Australia, almost everybody became Virtuoso, um, and in Europe as, as, as well. Um, but I also, I will tell you, one of the best sales jobs ever done on me. It was in 2008, I believe, and we were at the Javits Center in New York at Wired Magazine's Next Fest. And Philippe Stark was there mm -hmm. along with Richard and Will Whitehorn, who was the president of Virgin Galactic at the time, and Stephen Atmerell, who is the, the, the head of uh, uh, commercial director. And I had been talking about, as we were signing the deal, how I wanted to, you know, I want to do this myself, right? So we're you know, we're in this place, they have a mock-up of, of what, what, what it could be. Philippe Stark's there, everything, whatever. Philippe is also the one that designed the, the logo with the iris, right? Okay, yes. I don't know what people know, but the, the iris that is the Virgin Galactic logo, that is actually Richard Branson's real iris. Ah, okay. And if you get a business card from any Virgin Galactic employee, their card is their own iris. Fantastic. So every business card has their own actual iris. But anyway, Stephen Attenborough walks by and, and we're like two minutes before, I mean, CNN, ITN, Sky News, everybody's there. <laughs> and uh, Stephen Attenborough walks by me and says, um, well, as you can see, we're about to start this media, this press event. Now would be a good time for you to make up your mind. So you've got 10 seconds to tell me whether you want to buy it or not. <laughs> and if you do we'll announce we just have our newest our newest you know uh, yes. 
And so talk about pressure sales. <laughs> but I tell you what, I don't regret that. But Richard was kind enough. Richard was kind enough to allow me to buy one of the founder seats because mm -hmm. there were 600 sold. But the founders were the first uh, 84, originally the first 100, but then they, some of them fell through. Uh, something happened, I can't remember exactly. But what happened is those 84, we're going to be the first to go after Richard. Mm -hmm. So the founders, we paid up front. And then we will be by lottery. Mm -hmm. So I'll be anywhere from flight number two to I think flight number 12 or something like that because there's six passengers. Um, the good news is, as you know, the company has gone public. They've, they've gone to space at least three times now for sometime this month, you'll probably see the next. And, and, and what's going to be really cool is that sometime this month, they have moved all of their operations to Spaceport America mm -hmm. and the Virgin Galactic facility in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when they go to space this month, it'll be the first manned space flight from a state other than California or Florida. So it'll be the third state to finally send a, a manned space. And if all goes well, it looks like Richard will probably be going to space sometime in the first quarter of next year. That would be fantastic for the travel industry. So fingers, fingers crossed. And uh, then an, a nice early lottery number would be, would be good. For well, you. and you know, what's so funny about it. What's so funny about it is that, um, you know, the halo effect, uh, anybody who's a, we, our relationship with Virgin Galactic was great because, you know, one of the lines we could use is, well, you know what, if Richard will trust us to help send you to space, you can probably trust us to send you to Paris. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, it would be remiss given uh, COVID and, and yeah. obviously the challenges that people have lost loved ones and it's, it's impacted and brought travel to, to ground or domestic travel. Could you give us some of your thoughts and share some of your trademark positivities as 2020 closes and we look ahead to 2021 you mentioned in our our last exchange about the term revenge travel so it'd be great to hear a little about your thoughts on that well first of all one of my greatest frustrations and one of the reasons i joined wttc almost 15 years ago one of my biggest frustrations has always been how our industry doesn't get the respect that it deserves, both from a, from a social perspective and an, an economic seriousness perspective. Now, some of that has been self-inflicted because, you know, the airlines like to call themselves, we're in the transportation sector or in the, and we're in hospitality or we're in this, whatever. And because of the diffusement of our industry, that's part of our problem. I remember when I was asked to do a, a, a talk at Cornell Hospitality School, I remember the first thing that I said before I started going down this presentation about why the right kind of travel advisor not only survived, but thrived. But what I asked all of these Cornell students, brilliant students, I said, if you don't remember anything else from this speech, I'd like, you to, I'd like to ask you for one thing. When you go out into the world and you tell people what industry you are, please start by saying, I'm in the global travel and tourism industry and I'm specializing in hospitality or I'm specializing in this. We all need to realize that it's the totality of our industry. 
because so it's self-inflicted by the way we've done it. The other reason we've had a problem is because we weren't able to measure it. So first is the bundling of it, right? Having all the right sectors in it. And then the second problem we had was the fact that there's direct and indirect employment. So when you measure direct, it only tells a, you know, a part of the story, all that indirect. So yeah, so there's the Bellagio employee that may be furloughed, but what about the person who puts together the trade show booth? Mm-hmm. What about the people that deliver the flowers? What about the people that, I mean, there's, you know, so the reality is that we need to impress upon the world that while the rest of the world may be going through a recession, we're going through a depression. The highest unemployment rate during the Great Depression in the United States was 25.5% at its height. Everybody thinks of travel and tourism as Jamaica or Kenya or or all these other places. They do not understand it. So just take my own country. Most Americans have no idea that there's 19 million people directly and indirectly employed in travel and tourism in the United States. Um, So at the peak of our unemployment through COVID, travel and tourism was 40% of all unemployment. And then of direct and indirect employment, the unemployment rate for direct and indirect was 50%. And the unemployment for direct jobs was 75%, three times the Great Depression. It's also disproportionately affecting small businesses, women-owned businesses, minorities, um, which is one of the things that our sector has always been so powerful, right? It rises. It's it's the industry where you can start as a waiter and end up being a GM someday, right? It's it's the, the fluidity, the whatever. It's also about social fabric, right? So I think that that we need to impress upon the world. So the one thing that is gonna is happening here is is getting that getting that message across because there will not be a full recovery of the world economy without a recovery of travel. Now, having said all those things, I've been with some clients recently. I've been on the, the, the pent-up demand. Um, one of the reasons that travel was enjoying the golden era of travel, one of the things I was going to talk about at our symposium in March in Vienna was there are some major forces that are still in play that were driving the, 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 the growth of travel. One of them is Never in the history of the planet have we've ever had five generations of people all traveling at the same time in the numbers that they're traveling. And why is that? There always have been 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds, just not many of them. Yes. It's actually a modern phenomena. The baby boomer generation is going to be the first generation that when the last baby boomer turns 60, which is in 2024, approximately 80% of all baby boomers are expected to live an entire additional generation, which is anywhere from 20 to 25 years, so to 80 to 85, in relative health. Mm -hmm. That has never happened in the history of the planet. So you take that, and that's called a longevity revolution. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you take that 
And then you go over here to the millennials and the Gen Z, where they've been at the forefront of the sharing economy and the transference of prioritization of spending from goods to experiences. So you add all that up together, those things are still there. The pent up demand is palpable. I was at a, a wellness resort in Malibu with, it was like a mini focus group. I had one affluent client from Santa Barbara say, I literally see the lack of travel as a mental health issue for my family. Mm -hmm. I saw other people talking about it. Revenge travel is nothing motivates the human spirit, like taking something away from it that it took for granted. Mm -hmm. In China, for example, during the lockdown, the two things most talked about on social media during the lockdown was food, I can't wait to get to my favorite restaurant and travel. And so revenge travel is a term saying that basically it's like, I'm going to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what happened after 9-11, 9-11 was a horrible tragedy, but it also, it also did start a bit of the propelling of carpe diem. Mm -hmm. It was the beginning of, of, you know, it was it was one of the things that really uh, that really uh, propelled multi generational travel, um, and so I do think that you know as we start to get a handle on a vaccine, on therapeutics, and all this kind of stuff, I think it's going to be a very uh, you're going to see something that's that that is going to be because those trends um, those trends are not you know. They haven't changed. Those trends are, 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 are not going away. If anything, I think they're being, it's almost like they're being pressurized. Yes. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for the generosity of your time and uh, an absolutely fascinating career. And you've talked about your exchanges with Richard Branson, Steve Wynn, and another notable uh, industry and, and world leaders. So thank you for making time for a a humble and modest Welshman and for taking us from the 80s right the way through to space travel quarter one next year and what what may come next but it's always fascinating speaking to you and and really learning how some of the story weaves together and how Virtuoso has become such a, a massive and an important travel organization globally not solely in North America or the Midwest or the operations center in Midtown Manhattan. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Have a lovely weekend up ahead. Thank you so much. Right. Incredible. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Take care. Take care. All the very best.